0: That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
3: Something to note all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Ashanti traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Once, there were no stories in the world. There was only Nyame, the sky god, the supreme being who created the universe. He filled it with planets and stars, black holes and nebulas. He also created people. Though he did not think much of them, he left them on Earth where they copulated and died without civilization or culture. No one knows why Nyame created the universe. No one knows why he created people if he had no interest in them. No one even knows what he looked like. There are those who claim he was a spider, spinning a web that only he knew the purpose of. What is known is that at some point, Nyame was distracted from his weaving by a beautiful goddess asase Mother Earth. At a celestial event attended by all the gods, asase Ya made her move.
4: Sky God, we are overjoyed that you would join us this evening.
1: asase I did not expect to enjoy myself, but seeing you here, it pleases me.
4: I should hope so. I am the most beautiful of all of the goddesses.
1: You flatter yourself.
4: I flatter you Nyame. You created us after all. If I am the most beautiful, it is by your hand.
3: She sealed their love with a kiss. Was she genuinely attracted to the sky god, the omnipotent spider, or did she know what was to come? For her union with Nyame would produce a child, and that child would go on to transform the lives of all the people who lived on the earth. Nyame and Asase-Ya named their son Kweku, but humans would know him by another name, Anansi. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast Original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today we're discussing Anansi, the spider trickster of West African and Caribbean folklore. He is so central to the storytelling traditions of the Ashanti people that they call all of their fables Anansi Sem, which means Anansi Stories. This is regardless of whether the story even features the trickster. This week, we'll learn how Anansi brought enlightenment to the human race, but lost himself in the process. Next week, we'll hear the stories of his time as a man and how he became his own worst enemy. The rainforests of West Africa have existed for a million years, though people arrived in the region at least 10,000 years ago. From the beginning, these people formed a diverse system of various tribes and kingdoms. Each have their own traditions, their own histories, even their own languages. The largest group are the Ashanti, who for centuries ruled the Akan people with a mighty empire. However, before even the Ashanti was Anansi, the spider trickster. His real-world origins are lost to time, largely a character of oral storytelling tradition. His legend does not benefit from being etched in stone like so many other ancient characters. Anansi's legend suggests that he was a deity. He's the son of God and Mother Earth, He performed impossible deeds, such as capturing the sun and the moon and containing all wisdom in a pot on his back. In this sense, he seems like a god-hero, like Hercules or Gilgamesh. However, other stories depict him as a mortal man. He has a wife and children, works his farm, and attends social gatherings. Was he a real-life historical figure whose great deeds have led to him being deified? Many stories depict him as an enlightened figure, one who brings stories to humanity. Viewed through this lens, he's similar to Hammurabi of Babylon or even the Buddha. But even that description doesn't quite fit. While many Anansi stories feature the trickster bringing wisdom to humanity, he also is frequently depicted as selfish and hateful. He tricks God into suicide and beats his wife when she accuses him of stealing their crops. His schemes are so complex that he often deceives himself. Even stranger, many of the stories describe Anansi as something other than human, as a spider... He spins webs, crawls on the ceiling, and has ugly, distorted features. So what was Anansi? Was he a man, a god, or just a spider? It's possible that he was all three. Kweku lounged among the stars, surveying the earth below him. The earth was his mother's realm, and like her, it was full of life. Full of energy. She was with him here among the stars. They had come to pay tribute to his father, Nyame, along with a billion other gods and goddesses, planets, and life forms of all kinds. Kweku would have preferred to be back on Earth, frolicking with the animals. He could run and jump and keep pace with any creature. But what Kweku wanted most was to be friends with the humans. Yes, they were simple creatures with little intelligence, but he saw potential in them, whereas his father saw none. Kweku and the humans were alike in this way, underestimated and overlooked by their creator. He felt no such kinship here in his father's domain. In the sky, there was never anything to do but sit and listen to his father and the members of his court boast and squabble. Just now, his father was telling a story everyone had heard a thousand times already.
1: <laughs> yes, designing the universe was challenging for many reasons, but I think the sheer volume was the toughest part. Why, unless the creator might have stopped at, oh, 500 million or 1 billion planets. But I said to myself, no, it's 30 billion or it's nothing.
3: Everyone laughed and clapped in appreciation. Kweku just rolled his eyes and went back to looking down upon the Earth. It was then that he heard his mother's voice joining the conversation.
4: You can keep making as many planets as you want, husband. As long as mine, the Earth remains your favorite.
1: It is my favorite because you rule it, Asaseya, but I still believe it is no place to raise our son. It troubles me that you would allow him to come before me today in the form of a disgusting human.
4: He chose this form, not I. I told Kweku to come as something bright and celestial, but he said, No, Mother, I will appear before Father as I always do.
1: It's impudence is what it is. He thinks he's clever. He thinks he's smarter than me.
4: A child inherits the mother's flesh, but the father's soul. If he is impudent, it is because your fire burns within
3: him. Nyame grunted, unconvinced by this argument. He looked over to his son, who was sulking in the corner, ignoring the other guests. Nyame stamped his foot, and the room fell silent.
1: Krakou! Come pay tribute to your father at once.
3: Quaku stood and ambled over to his father. He didn't know what his father wanted, but decided that whatever it was, he would ask for something in return. He would ask that the humans be enlightened. It was the least Nyame could do. He was their creator, after all. Uh, uh, What is it, Father?
1: It is customary to bring your creator a gift when he gathers everyone in celebration. What do you have for me?
2: Oh, father, you, you created everything. And you can create any new thing your heart desires. Why should any of us bring you a gift? In fact, it is
3: I who requires something of you. All were shocked at his tone. Who dared ask something of Niame? The sky god trembled with rage, his suspicions proving true. He didn't care what Asase-Ya said. This boy was impudent. He thought he was better than his father. Kwaku only made things worse with his next words.
2: I want companions to spend my days with. The animals are too different from me. And whenever I try to make friends with the humans, all they do is scream and run away. Or try to kill me, or try and forcibly mate with me. I'm tired of being the cleverest being in all the world.
1: You think yourself wiser than me?
2: Your father, the creator? No, wait. I misspoke. I wouldn't dare suggest that I am smarter than you, father. I merely meant that I am the cleverest on my world, Earth. I want you to give civilization to the humans so that I might befriend them.
3: Kweku was surprised at the outcry his words had provoked. He was about to learn just how powerful speech can be. Nyame approached his son, scowling.
1: You may have whatever your heart desires, my son, but there is an order to things. First, you must pay
2: tribute. Uh, Yes. Yes, father, right away. Thank you for your patience with me.
4: Our son is young and requires rest, husband. I will take him back home now if it pleases you.
3: Mother Earth feared for her son's safety, and so she gathered Kweku in her cloak and returned to the planet's surface. Whenever he was on Earth, Kweku spent most of his time in Africa, where the jungles grew wild and the animals were too many to count. Now he lounged among the vines of the rainforest, while his mother returned to the soil, relinquishing her current form. She spoke to him from everywhere at once.
4: I must tend to the earth, my son. But Kweku, be careful in your pursuit of the humans as companions. The gods and the animals might bore you, but they are familiar to you. You do not know what the enlightened humans will be like.
2: Yes, yes, I'm sure they will be fine. But what should I even get father? He's the creator. He has everything.
3: Mother? Mother? She was gone, leaving him to his own devices. He sat in the vines, wondering what the creator of the universe could possibly want. Not coming up with any ideas, he leaned back and stared up at the blue sky. It was then that he saw the hundreds of shrikes, hornbills, and swallows flying overhead. Their plumage was spectacular, featuring every color you could imagine. Some had long feathers that trailed behind them like flowing dresses. Others had shorter feathers that stood straight up and crowned their heads. As he watched, it occurred to him that a coat made from these feathers might make an excellent disguise. Kweku soared into the sky to join the birds. He passed each in kind, asking if he might borrow a feather. They were congenial creatures, not yet wise to the machinations of gods and men. And so they happily agreed. Before long, Kwaku had a magnificent coat filled with a feather from every bird of the earth. It looked different from every angle, shimmering and changing in the sunlight. When looking at the wearer of the coat, it was impossible to tell if they were god or man, bird or beast. With the coat draped around his shoulders, Kweku climbed through the air until he was back among the stars. A sly grin spread across his face as he turned toward his father's residence. He would use the new coat to spy on Nyame and learn what kind of gift the creator wanted. Kweku alighted upon a tree branch above his father's garden, where the party was still in full swing. He began to strut and caw like a bird. One by one, the guests turned to admire the new arrival, bringing the party to a halt. Soon, Niame came to see what all the fuss was about. He moved beneath the tree branch, squinting at the strange bird. Even as the creator he was puzzled by its form next to him a party guest snorted ruefully
1: too bad Quaku isn't here he is the cleverest being in all the world surely he could tell us the identity of this strange bird i suspect Quaku will not be back for some time one such as he will never be able to find such a gift worthy of his creator More than likely, I will never have to grant his request and give civilization to the disgusting humans. Indeed! And what exactly could he bring that would please you? (sighs) Hmm. Nothing less than the sun, the moon, and the darkness."
3: Everyone including the disguised Quaku, was shocked to hear this. For in this time, before history, the sun, the moon, and the darkness were but a legend. There was always light, no night or day. Nyame had considered a plan for the universe with a night and day cycle, but he preferred the always bright weather of the Sky Realm and abandoned the idea. He hid the materials, and no one knew where they were now. Perched on his branch, Kweku smiled. He now knew what his father wanted as a gift, and he had an idea of where to start looking. Perhaps he was the cleverest being in the universe after all. Next, Kweku searches for the sun, the moon, and the darkness. Now back to the story. Kweku soared back down to the earth, prepared to find the perfect gift for his father, Niame, the sky god. He overheard his father at a party, claiming that the only thing that would satisfy him was the moon, the sun, and the darkness. But these things had long been hidden, and few knew of their location. Arriving back in Africa... Kwaku removed his cloak and entered into the caves beneath the jungle. Kwaku arrived at a magnificent underground lair that stretched for miles. Even down here, the vines of the jungle were everywhere. Most beautiful was the pool of still, crystal blue water at the cave's center. A giant python arose from the water, responding to Kweku's whistle. Moss hung from its back, and water dripped from every crack and crevice. Small crustaceans and other reptiles crawled on its back. It was the first of its kind, created by Nyame, and it was one of Kweku's oldest friends. Its name was Onini. Kweku valued Onini's judgment— for it often sat and listened rather than speaking. As such, it was the wisest of all the animals. Honini,
2: it is good to see
0: you, friend. I would say the same to you, Kweku. But somehow I doubt that this is a simple social call. You only ever come to me when you want something. That's not true. There was that one time I brought you goat stew. Because you wanted my help keeping your mother from noticing that you burnt down half
2: the jungle trying to control fire. And let me be clear, I still very much appreciate your help in that matter. But yes, now there is a new dilemma that faces me. My father requires that I pay tribute with the gift so that he might grant the humans civilization.
0: Why do you want to grant humans civilization? All they do is
2: scream, fight and rot. I thought that perhaps it might be a refreshing change of pace to have them talk and build buildings and farm crops instead. Are we animals not good enough company for you? You are excellent company, Onini. But you have no legs, and you spend most of your time in this cave. Sometimes I crave the friendship of those who are more similar to myself.
0: Very well. What is it that your father desires in tribute?
2: It's some... not a small thing. He wants the moon, the sun, and the darkness.
0: (laughs) Well, Kweku, there are no simple gifts. However, you have come to the right place. You see, I keep all three in a bag right here.
3: The python dove to the bottom of its lake, then re-emerged seconds later with a large leather sack in its mouth. It plopped the sack down in front of Kweku, who undid the string and gazed inside. His friend the python hadn't been lying. Sure enough, the shimmering sun, the glowing moon, and the whirling darkness could all be found inside the bag. Onini explained that when Niame scrapped the idea of night and day, he tasked the python with protecting these materials. Niame hadn't visited since that day, so Onini felt no loyalty toward his creator. Kissing his friend on the nose, Kweku picked up the sack and hurried out of the cave. He was filled with glee. His arrogant father thought that this task would be so difficult, and yet, by simply being friends with the creatures of the earth, Queku had accomplished it quite easily. Once again, he thought that perhaps he was the cleverest creature of them all. He flew back to the heavens, where his father's party continued to rage. Strutting into the main ballroom, Kwaku dropped the sack at his father's feet.
2: Here is your tribute, father. Three gifts suitable for a creator. I found them in no time at all.
1: We shall see, my boastful son. But you are right, very little time has passed. I don't see how you could have possibly found a suitable gift in such a short time.
2: Well then, father, prepare
3: to be amazed. With a wicked grin, Quaku reached down and undid the sack, removing the first of his gifts.
2: Behold the darkness! Long has it been hidden from the world, but now I return it to the heavens. It is so complete that few things are capable of piercing its inky shroud.
1: Impressive, Quaku! This is just what I had in mind. Though how you knew this, I cannot fathom. What else do you have for me?
3: Kweku reached back into the sack, and this time he pulled the moon out and threw it into the sky. It was now the only light against the darkness. All marveled at its incandescent glow. Finally, Kweku reached back down into the sack and removed the third of his gifts, the sun.
2: I have also found the sun, Father. I have returned the concept of day and night to the sky. This is my tribute to you. Truly, no one else can come close to my present. I ask that you honor your promise and give the humans civilization.
1: (sighs) Very well, my son. In return for your gifts, I shall make the humans into suitable companions.
3: With a wave of his hand, the Sky God transformed the people of the Earth. As they stared at the sun, freshly planted in the sky, they blinked in confusion. Stepping back, they looked down at themselves for the first time. They became aware of their bodies. They became aware of their own eyes and mouths and nakedness. They moved to cover themselves, fashioning robes out of tree bark. They began to stockpile food to ensure their own survival against the others. Before long, they had mastered agriculture, tilling the soil of the earth. They domesticated the animals, keeping them in pens. For the first time, they could think of things other than eating and fighting and copulating. In the evenings, they would gather around their campfires, which were also new. They found that they had energy left over from the day, but they couldn't think of what to do with it. They were bored. They had civilization, but no culture. Back in the palace of the sky god, only a few moments had passed. Kwaku was most anxious to return to the earth and meet his newly transformed companions. But he could see from the sky that they were bored, and by extension, boring. Rather than immediately voicing his disapproval, he considered the situation. He was indeed becoming the cleverest of all creatures, even more than his father. Rather than pouting, he made a new proposal. He would offer his father a favor and, in turn, ask for yet another gift.
2: Father, since you have done me the favor of giving the human civilization...
1: Perhaps now I might perform a favor for you. I am surprised at you. You have already performed one favor for me. No, no.
2: That was a gift. A favor is different. What might I do for you, father?
1: Hmm. What are you up to, Kweku? Very well. I've noticed that you keep close company with the animals from your mother's earth. They are rather splendid looking. I should like to have some in my palace. Bring me the python Onini, the leopard Osibo, the fairy Moatia, and the hornet Mobodo.
3: Kweku's heart sank upon hearing this request. He was friends with all of these creatures. Would they want to be taken from their homes and relocated to the palace of the sky god? He very much doubted it. He wanted to make the humans his companions, but at what cost? If he was going to do this, he wanted something in return. He looked at his father.
2: Very well, Skygod. I shall bring you these creatures. But if I do you this favor, then I ask that you present me with a gift.
1: (laughs) Ha! A gift for a favor for a favor for a gift. Perhaps you are the cleverest being in the world. Very well, my son. What else do you want?
2: Now that you have given the humans civilization, they are bored. They need something to occupy their minds. For my
3: gift, I ask that you give the humans stories.
0: <laughs>
3: With Nyame's approval, Kweku turned and departed for the earth. Once again, he felt that perhaps he was the cleverest of them all, while all the celestial beings crowded in his father's palace, seeking favor— His actions were transforming the earth. Soon, he would have companions of his own. As he landed back in Africa, he jumped at the sudden sound of his mother's voice. It echoed from everywhere in the jungle all at once.
4: Quaku, what are you up to now? I see you traveling to and from your father's palace in the sky.
2: It is nothing, Mother father was simply so pleased with my gift of the sun and the moon and the darkness, that he asked for a favor.
4: I should have known that you are the reason my world now resides half the day in darkness and half the day in the sun. But what else could your father possibly ask of you? He wants…
2: Uh, well, he wants my friends, the python, the leopard, the fairy, and the hornet.
4: What? But these are your companions and my creatures! What could possibly be worth their loss?
2: Father is going to give the humans stories.
4: Oh, Quaku. so those fools have begun to till my soil and hunt the creatures of the land. Be careful of how much you sacrifice for them. I promise you, it will never be enough.
3: But Quaku did not listen. He knew that he was the cleverest of all, and he knew that if he just did this last favor for his father, then he would finally have the humans as companions. And so, Kweku returned to the caves beneath the jungle, where the first of his friends resided. The python rose to greet him, happy to see its friend return. Greetings, Kwaku. Back so soon? What is it this time?
2: Nothing at all, Onini. I I thought perhaps we could go for a
3: stroll in the jungle as friends. Though the snake was suspicious, it consented and the two headed out of the cave and into the jungle. Internally, Kweku wondered if he had the strength to go through with his plan. Could he really do this to Onini? Next, Kweku betrays the animals. Now back to the story. Quaiku trudged through the jungle with his companion, Onini the python. Though he told the python he just wanted to go for a walk... He had been commanded by his father, the Sky God, to capture several animals and bring them to him. In exchange, the humans would be granted stories. They would finally be worthy companions for Kweku. When they had walked for several minutes, Kweku suddenly stopped and looked up at a palm branch.
2: Onini, do you think you are the longest thing in the jungle? That is a silly question. Of course I am. I do not think you were longer than a palm branch, surely. But perhaps we ought to test it. Come here, and I will lay you out next to this branch, and we will see which is longer. Very well, if that is what you wish.
3: Kwaku removed the branch from the tree, laying it down next to the snake. The branch was indeed longer than Onini.
2: See? <laughs> what did I tell you? You are not longer than the branch. You really ought to be more humble, Onini. This coming from you? I am longer, I tell you.
0: Here, I will straighten out more, so as to be completely flush with the branch.
3: And as Onini straightened out, Kweku jumped into action. At first, he thought he might grab some straw from the forest floor and use that to bind the snake. But a different urge suddenly overcame him. Dangling his hands over the snake, webs suddenly sprang forth from his fingers, covering the snake and causing it to stick to the branch. He was surprised. This was not a power he knew he possessed.
0: Kwaku, I should have expected this treachery. I assume this has something to do with your father?
2: I am sorry, Onini. He promised me that he would give stories to the humans in exchange for the capture of you and several other animals.
0: You and your humans. Nyame is manipulating you, you know? The humans will not bring you happiness. He wants you to be like him,
2: alone. How will being friends with the humans make me alone?
0: You will see, in time. Already you are turning into him.
2: I've
3: never seen you use webs before.
0: Not unlike the great web of the universe that your father weaves, no?
3: Kweku was angered by this comparison, Onini was just making things up. Kweku was the son of a god. He had incredible powers. The webs were just a result of that, nothing more. He tried to ignore the fact that the python was the wisest of all the animals. Come, Onini.
2: It is time for me to take you into the sky.
0: Very well, though I will miss my cave and lake.
3: And so began Kwaku's great hunt. He caught the leopard using a pit covered with leaves. Offering to help the leopard out, he instead covered him with webs. Next came the hornet. He poured the water from a gourd out over the hornet's head, so it thought it was raining. He then tricked it by telling it to take shelter in the empty vessel. Lastly, he made a doll covered with tree sap. The fairy went to hug the doll and became stuck in the sap. Once again, Kwaku had his prize. After weeks of hunting, Kwaku was ready to return to his father. He soared higher and higher into the heavens. He was surprised he could still fly with such a heavy heart. He kept telling himself that this would all be worth it. He was the cleverest of all. Everything would work out. He landed back at his father's party, which, unsurprisingly, was still raging on. Kweku made his way through the crowd. Though little time had passed for them, he had matured much in his time on Earth. He was covered in mud, leaves, and dirt of the jungle. He wore the python and the leopard strapped to his back. At his waist, a belt made from vines jingled with the containers that held the fairy and the hornet. He was quite a sight as he stepped toward his father's throne. In one motion, he dumped the animals at his father's feet. Well, well,
1: my son. This pleases me greatly. I see all four of the animals I requested here. This was no easy feat.
2: Easy enough for one as clever as I. I bound the snake, trapped the leopard, captured the hornet, and tricked the fairy. They are all yours to do with as you please.
1: Hmm. I notice that they are covered in webs. Was there a spider present at the site of each capture?
2: Well, no. Not exactly. I just, I found it easiest to make use of webbing.
1: Ah, so like father, like son.
2: No, I am not a spider. I just, it was the only time in my life I have needed to use webs. You wish I was like you, father, but I am much, much more
3: clever. Now, on with my reward. This time, Quaku's boasts had crossed the line, Kweku had simply become embarrassed at being compared to his father, but in openly admitting that he thought himself cleverer, he sparked a great anger within Nyame. The sky god stepped down from his throne, staring at the struggling animals. At first, he seemed pleased, but in an instant, his happiness gave way to rage. He waved his hand over the animals, and just like that they were reduced to dust. Queku had no time to react as he saw Onini's sad face blow away in the breeze. Next, Niame moved to his son, grabbing him by the ear and dragging him to the edge of the palace. The crowd followed as they all stood over the edge, looking down onto the earth. No, father, what have you done?
1: The creatures were of no consequence. I could make a million more of each should I please. Besides, I thought all you cared about was your reward.
2: I did not know that it would come at such a great cost. You have not been honest with me.
1: I thought that one as clever as you would know the cost of his actions. But fret not, for now I give you your reward. Watch as I share stories with the humans.
3: Down below, Niame's magic swept the land, and soon human civilization began to transform. No longer were they bored around their campfires. Now they could tell tales of great deeds, of evil monsters and triumphant heroes. This was good for a time, but now that humans could tell tales, they could also lie— The difference between myth and reality blended together. Some men used stories to inspire groups of humans to work together, but others used them to inspire humans to work against each other. They began fighting again, no better than they first were. Kweku watched all of this in dismay. His father was truly cruel, but Niame was only just getting started.
1: I have granted your request, Quaku. Since I am a generous father, I shall do you one better. Not only have I given you the humans as companions, I shall now make you one of them, so that you may truly grow close. You will no longer be able to soar in the sky among the gods. Instead, you will feel the same pain that the humans do, and you will experience your mother, the Earth, as they do, silently, harshly, with no ability to communicate.
2: Father, you cannot do this! To never speak to you or Mother again would break my heart! I apologize. I am not the most clever. It is you! You, the creator!
1: Oh, but you are being modest, Quaku. You are the cleverest of us all. So, so clever. In fact, perhaps you need a new name. From now on, you will not be called Quaku. But Anansi, the human word for spider, the cleverest of all creatures. You will be creator and destroyer, giver and negator, he who dupes others and who is always duped himself. Now go to your new home and never plague us with your cleverness again.
3: Waku could not tell if he traveled for a thousand years or a few minutes. The next thing he knew, he felt the hot sun beating down on his skin. It was a new sensation. He was irritated at the itchy feeling of flies crawling on him, at the coarse earth underneath his fingertips. Where was he? Why did he hurt so much? He felt a sharp kick and heard a voice from overhead.
0: You're in my way, sir. Stop sleeping in the middle of the road.
3: He looked up suddenly, his vision adjusting to the searing brightness of the sun. A girl with dark skin stood before him. She wore an ugly robe made of bark. Looking around, he saw the jungle and the fields and the mountains. It was Africa. The land he used to call home. It was the same, but different. He called out to the heavens,
2: Mother! Mother!
3: There was no response. He was cut off from Asase Ya. Though her earth still held great beauty, that beauty now came at a price. It was hot. The insects were irritating, and he could feel fatigue. He was experiencing the earth for the first time as a human. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode of Find out then how Anansi adjusts to life as a human, and if he ever reunites with the gods. For more information on Anansi, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Akan Trickster Cycle Myth or Folktale by Kwesi Yanka extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. Several of you have asked how to help mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCastNetwork. We'll be back next week with another epic tale.
2: Mythology is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Admire, Paul Liebeskin, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tiana Camacho, Susanna Corrington, Kai Jordan, Samantha Moore, Heston Mosher, Steve Pinto, Brett Schneider, Julian Smith, and Muni
1: Ramon. Mythology stars, Vanessa Richardson.